I've really enjoyed teaching through the book of Ephesians. It's been edifying for me, and it's been educational to say the least. Throughout the course of this book, we've seen primarily two things. Number one, what Yahweh has done for the church, and number two, what we're expected to do for the church. Chapters 1 through 3 were all about what Yahweh has done for us through His agent, our Lord Yeshua. And chapters 4 through 6 are all about what we're to do for Him and what we're to do for the church in relation to what He's done for us. I find it kind of interesting that Paul speaks about the blessings of Yahweh bestowed upon us prior to giving us the requirements of what we're to do for Him the last three chapters. He talks about what Yahweh's done for us in the first three chapters, what we're to do for Yahweh the last the last three chapters. And I think it's funny that He puts Him first. <clears throat> See, Christianity as a whole is not always about what we can do for Yahweh, but more often it's about what He's done for us. And truthfully, saints, that's the core of the Gospel. Mm-hmm. What we do for Yahweh is simply, simply a response to what He's already done for us. We could title this Unmerited Favor that we receive, and there would be no other word for it other than grace. So Yahweh's grace upon our lives is the initiation for our salvation. It's the most important part of our means to know our Lord and to have a daily walk with Him. And grace is just, it's a small word. It's a real small word, and it's thrown around by all, but it has such a huge meaning. And, it, and the impact that it has when it comes to salvation is phenomenal. Yahweh gave of Himself in order that we might benefit. That's His very nature. He's always given, and He extends this to us through His Son. And that's how we benefit from the grace of Yahweh. Now, we spend a lot of time going over the grace of Yahweh in chapter 2, so I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there. However, we're about to start the seventh verse in the fourth chapter, and so I wanted to kind of give a recap on the grace part before I started. I needed to get you thinking, maybe wake you up a little bit, or just remind you of how wonderful Yahweh is and how precious His grace is. So with that being said, let's read verse 7 through 16 in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, and then we'll start to unpack this wonderful epistle. Starting chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift, for it says, When He ascended on high, He took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does He ascended mean except that He descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Almighty Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. For by every supporting ligament, from Him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Before we get started, I hope that when we read those verses, some questions were raised in your mind. If no one in here was the least bit confused about the text, I'm going to feel extremely dumb because I've been struggling with some of these verses for a few months now. 
Well, if you were confused, boy, don't feel alone. And number two, don't worry, I have all the answers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. However, I do think maybe by the end of this service, uh, by the end of this sermon, I will have answered some of the questions, hopefully. But let me also say this. This is going to be a somewhat technical sermon, and I don't know if it will be easily understood. I will do my best to explain it, but if I blow it and you don't understand it, please get with me at the end of the sermon and I'll do my best to explain it. I'm hoping that I can explain it today so that everyone can catch on. But like I said, I've been studying this for months and it's probably going to be difficult to compact all this into one sermon. But I'm going to try. Also, we will finish through verse 11 today. You always will. And I won't be going all the way through verse 16. I simply read it for the sake of context. Okay, everybody got their thinking caps on? Let's look at verse 7. And I'm going to reread it, okay? Verse 7, it says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. Now just a few minutes ago I gave you an introduction. Speaking of Yahweh's grace to us. But if you recall, I also told you that the grace was applied to us by the extension of our Lord Yeshua. Well, not only is Yahweh gracious enough on our behalf to give us salvation through His Son, we talked about that and studied that in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, but He also has given His Son the right to give us spiritual gifts as seen in verse 8 right here. We've also spoken about that a little bit in the past, and it was actually brought up in the studying of the last few verses of chapter 2 as well. Paul talks about the building up of a holy sanctuary, one that was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And at the time we talked about the building of the sanctuary, we talked about some of the diversity within the church and the diversity within the gifts which enabled the church to be built. I told you then that in order for the church to reach its full potential that everyone needed to exercise their spiritual gifts because by doing so, we as a whole manifest the body of Christ. I don't know if you guys remember that, but now, but now, again, in verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul says that each one of us was given grace. That means that nobody was left out, right? But each one of us was given grace according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. Meaning this, listen. Everyone is given a gift. Some may use it, some may not use it. But we've all been given a gift. Not only is everyone given a gift, but we are also given the grace to utilize that gift. So there's no Christian that got cheated. If you're a child of Yahweh, you've been given a gift, you've not been cheated, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting verse 4 through 7. You don't have to turn to it, I'm going to quote it for you, or read it to you. But It says, Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same Mighty One is active in everyone and everything. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And then it goes on to list some of those gifts, the spiritual gifts. One is wisdom, the knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, and so on. Then in verse 11, he concludes with this. He says, but one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each other, each one as He wills. Notice he says, as He wills, not as we will. Romans chapter 12 says basically the same thing, starting in verse 4. It says, now as we have many parts 
in one body, and all the parts do, do not have the same function, mm-hmm. in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Everyone in here has different gifts. What a blessing. What a blessing that, that Yahweh thought to give us a gift. If you're a child of the Almighty, you have a gift. This is a major blessing. Now with that being said, let me also say this. If we are all given different gifts, don't you think that every gift is necessary for the edification of the church body? Amen. If we all share different gifts, don't you think that each one is necessary? Amen. Yes. It takes all of our individual gifts in order for the church to function as a whole. Saints, this is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. There's a, there's a part that you must perform in order to be part of this body. In order for it to function as a whole, you have to do your part. We shouldn't just come to church from Sabbath to Sabbath to look at the back of somebody's head, to sing a few songs, to flip through the pages of the Bible, and then get up and go home. We have a gift that needs to be utilized in order that other brothers and sisters in here might be ministered to. Amen. By your gift. Ron's got a gift. Frankie's got a gift. Matthew's got a gift. Rocket, you have a gift. Phyllis has, has a gift. We all have gifts and we need to minister each to, to one another with them. And furthermore, in order for us to have the gift that we have, there was a tremendous victory that had to be won. Death had to be conquered for our Messiah to be able to give us the gift that was given to you. And as we all know, the sacrifice that took place in order for that to happen was extremely costly. Yes. Extremely costly. So I tell you that, one, to preface the next verse. But two, to cause you to understand that your gift is not one to be wasted. And let me give you a small example. From time to time, Sister Hazel makes me collards and cornbread. Now this is not her spiritual gift. It's just a physical gift that she has, and she's good at it. All right? <laughs> But I'm telling you this as an analogy. Sister Hazel makes me collards because she knows how much I love collards. And man, do I love collards. I like them better than I like ice cream. I would rather have them than ice cream. Well, usually when I get them, I don't know that I'm going to get them. But she just shows up with a bowl of collards and a plate full of cornbread. That's just what she does. Well, Kim may have made supper that night. And I don't want to waste the dinner that she's made either. So I just eat both of them at the same time. I'm just, kidding. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But I also don't want to waste the efforts of Sister Hazel, you know, that she spent making me collards and cornbread. So I put one in the fridge, and I eat the other one. You know, I eat it the next day. Eat one that night. Eat the other one the next day. Either way, both sacrifice their time for me, and I'm thankful. So I don't waste their gift. I make sure that I utilize what's been given to me. Somebody's taking the time to do something for me. I make sure that I, that I take the time to utilize what's been done for me. It's the same thing when Sister Lise makes bread for people in here. If you had never had bread made by Sister Lise, I'm sure she'll get around to you sooner or later. Those who have had bread made by Sister Lise, it's good, isn't it? One. And number two, I hope you didn't throw it away. I hope you ate it. She took her time. She made yes. bread for you guys or made bread for me in the past. And... It was her blessing to me. She didn't have to do that. Something that she blessed me with. And I, she chose to bless me, so I don't throw away her gift. Well, how much greater is the gift that Yeshua gave to us? Yes. And how much greater is the sacrifice that was made in order that we could receive our gifts? 
These gifts are spiritual gifts and they can't be received from men. They come from spiritual places and are given at a great cost. A great cost. Don't waste them. Brothers and sisters, don't waste your gifts. Now let's look at verse 8. For it says, When He ascended on high, He took prisoners into captivity and He gave gifts to men. Or gives gifts to people. Now we've been talking about the spiritual gifts in here in verse 7. And we, will, and we concluded exactly what these gifts were in verse 11 when we read it a few minutes ago. And next time I teach, we'll talk more about those gifts. But for now, in verse 8, let's talk about how they were made possible and where their origin is from. Now you may look at verse 8 and say, well, that's pretty easily understood. And at first glance, it seems so. It's somewhat simple. But believe me, it is pretty complex. So let's see if we can glean what Paul is trying to tell us. And like I said at first glance at the verse, it may seem simple. As if Paul's just trying to say, Yeshua went to heaven and he took the saints to, to heaven and he gave gifts to men. To some degree, that is what he's saying. But let's dig a little bit deeper. A quick glance at the footnote in your Bible on this verse will tell you that Paul is quoting from Psalm 68 and verse 18. So let's take a look at that. If you, if you have your Bible open, if you want to turn to Psalm 68 and 18, I will wait on you before I read the text and put your thumb in there because we'll go back and forth from Psalm 68 and 18 to Ephesians chapter 8 and verse 4, or chapter 4 and verse 8, all through the rest of this sermon pretty much. All right. In Psalm, the, Psalm 68 and 18, the psalm says this, You ascended to the heights, taking away captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that Yahweh might live there. I want you to focus on the part that says you received gifts from people. Now that sounds somewhat different from then, than the way that Paul quotes it in Ephesians. The psalmist says that you received gifts, and Paul says that he gave gifts. Both say that he ascended on high and took away the captives. But why does the verb change from the Psalms to the quote of Psalms by Paul? How does it go from received to gave? Is it that Paul misquotes the Psalm? Question mark. Is it that Paul misquotes the Psalm? Could it be that Paul is quoting from the Greek Septuagint rather than the Hebrew Masoretic text? Or could it be that Paul just uses the quote and twists it to make it fit the teaching here in order that his point makes sense? Well, it's going to take a second, but we're going to get there. We're going to get to the bottom of it. Just hang in there and pay attention. It took me a long time to figure this out, all right? Okay, number one, if you read all of the Psalms, all of Psalm 68, you will see that David is singing a song in praise to Yahweh. But then an unnamed man, unnamed person, seems to be the recipient of the gifts in Psalm 68 and verse 18. And the givers seem to be men. David is singing about a victory that has just been won, while in Ephesians it seems as if Christ is the giver of the gifts and men are the recipients. Nonetheless, both are in reference to a battle being won. In Paul's epistle, the battle that was won was the conquering of death by Yeshua. And in the Psalms, the battle that was won seems to be a battle in Bashan. So apparently, Paul is just using this quote to promote the victory of Christ over the grave. 
In the same way as the psalmist David sang the song about a triumphant Israel at the mercy of Yahweh over Bashan. But the problem is, why does this unnamed person receive the gifts from men at Yahweh's victory in the Psalms? Where Yeshua gives gift to men, gives gifts to men at his victory in Ephesians. Well, in the Psalms, in the Hebrew, it actually says, You took and are carried in, in gifts by mankind. The verb is very definitive, and it definitely makes this person, this unnamed person, the recipient of the gifts. So what about the Septuagint? If we leave the Hebrew text for a second, look at the Septuagint, could it be that Paul is quoting from the Septuagint? Well, Paul's words are not exactly that of the Septuagint either. The Septuagint reads literally like this. You have received gifts from man. Once again, making this person, this unnamed person, the recipient of the gifts, right? Are you still with me? Mm -hmm. Too much. Go ahead. So has Paul twisted the text to make his point? Well, let's, let us look at one more source, an ancient writing, before we completely throw Paul under the bus. We often look at the Hebrew Masoretic text or the Greek Septuagint for clarification on the Scriptures, and we should. They are great sources. However, there is another source of ancient writing that we can consult that was highly regarded by the Judaites of Paul's day, and that is the Aramaic Targums. Within the Aramaic Targums, there are what we call Pesher texts. Basically, Pesher texts are just interpretations of scriptures. But they are more than just commentary within the text itself. They are more like interpretations of the thoughts and cultures combined. Okay, Like the way that an ancient rabbi or someone of great understanding may have seen the text. And these were prior to Paul's day. Okay, this, this all took place prior to Paul. So these Pesher texts were taken out of the Aramaic Targums, and they were called Targumim. Targumim, and they date back all the way to Nehemiah's time. They're old, they're ancient writings. They're found in the Qumran caves and things like that, along with the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're, they're very ancient, all right? And, they, were, and they, they go all the way back to Nehemiah's time. So these Pesher texts, or Targumim, basically paraphrase the Hebrew into Aramaic. It's almost like somebody is translating the Hebrew language into the Aramaic language and they're putting their understanding on it. Basically, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know of, a, of an example, but we do this with the translations with the Bible, transliteration. Yeah. That's what we do is we transliterate it to where we understand it in our language that we speak today. Okay? So, they did this with, a, with, with verses like this right here, like the verse that we have right here, Psalm 68. Because it's somewhat complicated, someone of Hebrew thought puts their understanding on it and translate it, translates it into Aramaic or these Targumim so that we can better understand it. All right? And here in, in Psalm 68 and 18, they interpret the original Hebrew meaning and they translate it into the Aramaic language. And so this is how the Aramaic Targum translates this text in Psalm 68 and 18. Listen to what it says, okay? You, prophet Moses, ascended to the firmament. You took captives captive. You learned and taught the words of the law, and you gave them as gifts to the children of men. Did you catch that? It's a lot different than what we've been reading, but let me read it again. It says, You, prophet Moses, ascended to the firmament. 
You took captives captive, you learned and taught the words of the law, and you gave them as gifts to the children of men. Well, wow. Well, can you see the difference? Sometimes it takes a little deeper understanding of the Hebrew mindset to understand the Scripture today. I mentioned that the other night when I took testimonies because this was fresh on my plate. But sometimes we have to get outside of the King James Version Bible and we have to do a little homework. Sometimes that's what it takes. And if we and if we labor, Jerry, if we labor, we'll get the reward. We'll definitely get the reward. So I think that is exactly what we can glean here from the Targum. A better Hebrew mindset, which is the way Paul himself would have been thinking when he wrote the book of Ephesians. He would have had this mindset. He's not 2,000 years removed. He's still there. He understands all these things, and this is going on in his mind. So the unnamed person, according to the Targum, seems to be Moses. David is going to praise Yahweh for the victory, and he says, The Lord is among them in the sanctuary as He was in Sinai. This should trigger some things about Moses right to start with. The Lord is among them as He was in Sinai, right? And then he mentions the unnamed person, but he only uses the personal pronoun, you. Right? It says, you ascended to the heights, you received the gifts for the people. Or from the people. So I hope you're seeing the similarities to what Paul writes in Ephesians 4 The mindset completely reinterprets the words of the psalmist as referring to Moses. It also references a Hebrew tradition that Moses didn't just go to the mere mountaintops to get the law, but rather he went higher than that to a spiritual height to receive the precious gift of the law. Mm. He went into the heavens. He went into the heavens. He He ascended the heights. Okay, Ascended the heights. By this understanding from the Targum, we can we determine that the gifts were the words of the law and were given to men after being received. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Now that seems really close to what Paul is saying, right? Now the exception of the difference in the Psalms and what Paul is saying would be the person of Christ rather than Moses, and the gift would be spirit-filled gifts rather than the law. So in summing this up, let me tie it all together for you. And I'm, if you're not lost by now, I tried my best to lose you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So some of this all up, let me tie it all together. I believe that what Paul is doing is quoting from the Aramaic Targum, rather than the Hebrew Masoretic text or the Greek Septuagint. I think that he has understanding that the psalmist was talking about Moses going up into the heavens to receive the law and giving it as a gift to men for the edification of the nation of Israel. Okay? But Paul applies this understanding of Psalms and sorts of, sort of makes an analogy like I did with Sister Hazel a while ago of it to Christ and His ascension. Paul is making an analogy of Moses' physical gift of the law being received and Christ's spiritual gift being given. He says that Christ led the captives captive, meaning that the ones who were held in sins of bondage, He led to freedom and faith, which places them in Yahweh's captivity. In other words, those who were captive by sin were led to freedom through faith and then placed under Yahweh's captivity. The same way that Moses took the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and led them into the wilderness under Yahweh's captivity. He gave them gifts of the law the same way that Christ has given spirit-filled gifts to the church. Okay? 
I hope that I'm making sense. And then in turn, Christ gives His gifts to the people. Instead of the law, like Moses gave the nation of Israel, Christ gave spiritual gifts or offices to people as we read before, or we read before in verse 11. The gifts of the fourfold ministry, I know we call it a fivefold ministry, but one of those offices or two of those offices are actually one office. But the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and pastoring teachers, Paul's audience already had the law, guys. Christ wasn't giving them the law. They already had it. He's giving them spiritual gifts for the church. But Paul uses that analogy and he shows that the gift of Christ was greater than the gift of Moses and beneficial for the church age of the day or that was being ushered in. Not that the law was not beneficial. I'm not saying that at all. You all know me. You know that I believe that the law is beneficial. I practice it and keep it and, you know, do it. But not that it wasn't beneficial, but that the church world and the, the gifts that, that Christ has given are greater. Mm. They're greater. We're comparing two. We're comparing the law of Moses to the, the gifts of Christ, the Spirit-filled gifts, the Spirit-filled ministries. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is done many times throughout the Scriptures. The less, lesser gift of the law to the greater gift of, the, of, of, of Christ spiritually. So just as Christ was a prophet likened unto Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18... He fulfills part of that prophecy here and is compared to Moses in Paul's understanding of Psalm 68. Okay? Now I know that's a lot to grasp and that grasp and that was pretty quick. If you don't understand, I'd be glad to go into much more detail with you after the sermon today. I'd be glad to sit down and talk you talk to you about it and walk you through it. I know it's I know it's hard, but I hope you see the similarities in what I'm trying to present as a good understanding of Paul's quote and his analogy. So let's move on to verse nine. It says, but what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? What does that mean? Well, first of all, let's maintain the context. Let's don't get outside of the context right here and we'll figure this out. We have just concluded that Yeshua ascended into the heavens to receive the gifts that would that he would give to man. Okay? But if he ascended into the heavens, then what does it mean that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? Well, let me ask you this. What had to be accomplished for Christ to lead the captives captive? Those who were captive of their sin, how did they get into captivity with Yahweh? How were they brought under, under Yahweh? A great war had to be fought, right? That's what we talked about a minute ago. A great war had to be won. The war that had to be won was none other than the war of sin and death. Okay. In order for the battle to be won, Yeshua had to be killed and buried and then resurrected. So Paul's making the point that in order to ascend, he had to first descend into the sense of the grave. Mm-hmm. All right, He had to be buried first to descend in order to be raised ascend. He had to die first in order to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. One could not pl- take place without the other. Am I right in that? Yes, amen. So that's the answer to Paul's question. That's what the ascension is all about. Burial, descension, and resurrection, ascension. And he did this that the prophecies would be fulfilled, according to verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Now we know who the one is that ascended above the heavens. It was Yeshua, right? Okay. He descended into the grave, he conquered death, and was resurrected so that he might ascend into the heavens and fulfill what? 
It has to be the the prophecies about that were spoken about his ascension. But secondly, so that he might present himself to the Father as victorious after death. In John chapter 2 and verse 19, Yeshua says, Destroy this sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. This is fulfillment of that prophecy. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says, From then on, Yeshua began to point out to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, being killed and then raised up the third day. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, He was delivered up for our our trespasses and raised for our justification. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19, it says, Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be flogged, and to be crucified, and he will be resurrected on the third day. These are all prophecies about the death and the resurrection of Christ. And last but not least, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 6, it says this, it says, He is not here, for He has been resurrected, just as He said. Just as He said. Folks, Yeshua fulfilled all things. He was the first fruits of the dead, and He descended to the grave so that He might ascend to the heavens and present Himself with the captives to Yahweh. He was victorious over death, and it's to our benefit that He was. If you can't be thankful for that, we need to check ourselves. We ought to be thankful for that. This is why the spiritual gifts are so important. This is why we shouldn't make light of the gifts that are given to us. Christ really paid the ultimate price for the ability to save souls and to give gifts. It was His selfless acts that has awarded us the favor that we have with Yahweh. Are you thankful? Blessed, Blessed be our Messiah. It was the ultimate sacrifice. Let's look at verse 11 and I'll wrap this up. Verse 11, it says, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Okay, here we are with the gifts. Everyone likes gifts, right? Well, here's a list of some that our Lord gave us. It's not Cadillacs and motorcycles and uh, fast cars and fancy diamonds and all that kind of stuff. He gave us spiritual gifts, which I'm thankful for. But... Just as Moses went up and received the Torah and gave it to Israel as a gift from Yahweh for the training up and the guidance of the nation of Israel, a precious and much needed gift that Moses gave, so it was like Yeshua, who descended to the grave but defeated death and ascended to heaven to give spiritual gifts to men for the guidance and the edification of the church, also much needed gifts. Yeshua gave men spiritual gifts for the guidance of the church, and these gifts are of great value. Yes. He gave them as individual gifts so that the church could function as a corporate body. Oh, yes. He gave these gifts to men so that they could train the saints in the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ, as it says in verse 12, yeah. Yeah. which we'll get more into the next time I teach. But they were diverse individual gifts established for the orchestration of unity within the body of Christ. Diversity within unity, if you will. Think about that. Diversity within unity. We are a diverse group of people unified together as one corporate body. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For us, the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, through though many, are one body, so also in Christ. The gifts were given so that the church would function in, in unity as a whole. What a wonderful gift. 
What a wonderful gift. I'm thankful for that. Folks, aren't you thankful for the spiritual head that's the heads that have gone before you? The spiritual men that have gone before you? The men and women who have dedicated themselves to the work of the ministry? You should be if you're not. Do you know that you wouldn't have a New Testament had Yeshua not given gifts to the men? You wouldn't have a New Testament. Those spiritual gifts that He gave those apostles, that's what it took for us to for us to get this New Testament. Yes. Yes. In Acts chapter two and verse forty two it says that three thousand new converts devoted themselves to the apostles what? Doctrine. Doctrine or teaching. Yes. That's what they devoted themselves to. We are indebted to the apostles and prophets that have gone before us. Those men who Yahweh spoke to who in turn spoke for Yahweh were extremely strategic in the founding and the building of the initial church. Extremely strategic. Now the apostles and prophets have faded away, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. But the legacy that they left will be be ever indebted for. We will be ever indebted for. Mm -hmm. And while they're gone, let me say this, by Yahweh's mercy, He founded the church with the apostles and prophets. But He has left us with spirit-filled evangelists and teaching pastors. These men are the backbone of Christianity with Christ, the head of the whole church. Aren't you so thankful? In closing, let me say this. Grace has been given to each one of us. And a gift has been given by that grace. Don't let your gift sit on a shelf and become ineffective to the church. The gift that you possess is a special gift. And it was bought at a great price. And who knows if you'll utilize it, you may be the means by which Yahweh uses to save somebody's soul. One more so. You may be the means that Yahweh uses. Think about this. What if the person that shared the gospel with with you would have been the person that put his gift on the shelf? Where would you be at today? Where would you be at today? What would the results have been for you? Brothers and sisters, don't be a pew warmer. Be active. Ever seeking Yahweh's word and his ministry and the gift that he has for you. You have a gift. If you're a blood-bought child of the king, Yes. You've been given a gift. Yes. Whether or not you know what that is, find it. Utilize it. The next time I teach, we'll get into the fullness of Christ and what it means to grow into a mature man. But until then, find your gift and start to exercise it. Use what Yahweh has given you as a gift to further the ministry in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. No gift is too small. Find yours and use it. Mm-hmm. Brother Jerry, you think you struggled Sunday. And I know what it feels like because I've set up here. I've stood up here and been at a loss for words, and can't. I have. I have it all worked out before I get out of the car, and I get up here, and every my mind goes blank. Everybody's looking at me, faces I've never seen, and I'm thinking, Oh no, what am I going to do? I understand that. I understand it all too well. But don't stop. Don't stop. When it gets tough like that, prepare a little better or think a little harder, or try a little harder, or whatever it is. I feel the best when I've taken months of time to study. I get up here, and then it kind of flows. You know what I'm saying? So I feel the best then, but don't ever give up, because you've got a gift to speak. And if you put that gift on the shelf, it might have been somebody in here Sunday night that you planted a seed that somebody else is going to water down the road and Yahweh's going to give the increase. And that that plant's going to grow into a beautiful creature of Yahweh. And had you not got up here, or you not get up here the next time that you're supposed to, one of those seeds may not get dropped. 
You may not get planted, so don't ever give up on your gift. And that goes for everybody. But but you mentioned you mentioned how you felt bad about it. Don't feel bad about it. If you do what you do, you do it for Yahweh, and you do it to the best of your ability. Yahweh's Yahweh's thankful for you. He, you've done what He's asked you to do. So um, that goes for everybody in here. If you got a gift, don't set it on the shelf. Use it. You may you may take something away from me if you hide it. And uh, I don't want you to rob me for something that Yahweh's got in store for me. So I uh, love you guys. Thankful to be able to teach to you. I hope that you understood what I had to say. If you didn't, like I said, I, I'll, I'll hang around a few minutes so uh, so that we can clear some things up. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Yahweh, Father, I'm thankful for the understanding that I have on these texts. Father, I'm, I'm super thankful that you have taken the time to put this in the mouth of the apostles and the prophets of old and have let it get to us where we are today. Father, you are great, you are mighty, and you are worthy to be praised, and we lift you up right now, Father. I'm so thankful for your son, his work at the torture state for the benefit of us and our salvation, Father. I give you praise for that. Father, forgive us of our sins. Help us to be better at what we are to you, Father. Let us live in a way, in a, in a manner that's worthy for you, Father. We just lift you up right now. We'll give you all the praise. I ask that you be with us as we travel home. Keep us safe and let us come back here next Sabbath to, to learn and grow in stature just like your son did. Father, I just pray that you'll continue to bless us in every way possible, especially in our spiritual man. Father, we uh, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. Father, we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory and we do all this in the name of your only begotten Son. Amen. Amen. Amen.